Welcome to another exciting episode of Just a Jackass with a Note in His Mouth. I'm your host and resident jackass, Brad Alexander. There's a lot of talk about identity these days. People who, though their physical makeup is clear to see and scientifically provable, identify as something else, be it gender, race, ethnicity, weight, and so on. And I'm not talking about when people identify as Irish on St. Patrick's Day, okay? I'm seeing, and unfortunately it's not just me, The church, primarily the American church or Western church, is identifying as something other than the body of Christ. And I realize it's easy to fault find, and picking on the church is a popular pastime for some, and that is not my goal here. In the majority of the examples I give, I'm outing myself, my behaviors, and it's to me first, and then anyone else who wants to latch on to it and say, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that might be me too. So let's do some investigating here. Who is the church? Let's look at the scriptures to identify the church. First Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we are chosen. God chose us, according to this passage. Jesus says in John fifteen sixteen that we didn't choose him. He chose us and appointed us to bear fruit, which speaks to the next aspect. From that passage in First Peter, We are a royal priesthood, so we are to be actively engaging in ministry, specifically the ministry of reconciliation as we plead with people around us to be reconciled to God through Messiah Jesus, as we love the Lord our God with every fiber in our being, and we love our neighbors as ourselves. We, the church, are a holy nation, according to this passage. We should stand out as an example of living according to God's word. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Our light should shine and our good works show so that mankind will see them and glorify our Father in heaven. Messiah tells us that we are also the salt of the earth. And what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? It's to be trampled under the feet of people. Throw it out on your driveway. Peter also declares us to be living stones, the church. First Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up a spirit, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Living stones being built up as a spiritual house. We are the temple of God's Spirit. We are the living stones being built up. Not brick, wood, and mortar. And I hope and believe most of you recognize we don't go to church. We are the church. And there's a lost and dying world starving for what we have, the gospel. Remember in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, Who are people saying I am? And they spout out some 
different answers. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Simon Peter responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus declares him blessed and says, you are Kepha, Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus says that he will build his church on Peter's revelation knowledge that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yes, Peter does mean rock. And he later writes in one of his letters, what we just read, that we are living stones in this temple and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. You see, buildings can be used for good or bad purposes and they can also be destroyed. But the church the true temple of God, the body of Christ, the very gates of hell cannot, shall not prevail against it. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. James tells us that Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We're called to meet the needs of the poor and needy, loving our neighbors. Do we have a bit of a glimpse of who the church is and what we should be doing? And as I speak in regard to the church's identity crisis, I do, I do so in very general terms, and I recognize that there are some valid, valuable, and viable ministries, yes, I like alliteration, that are connected and focused on serving God and loving their neighbors, preaching the gospel and making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. In the American church, there is a huge disparity between who we are to be as a whole and who we are in actuality. And more and more, I'm being connected with believers who are hearing a call of God and an acknowledgement that the model of the Western church is broken. There is this yearning to know what's this really supposed to look like. And I'm encouraged, but at the same time, there's this sense of urgency that has alarms going off in my head and in my heart. We look at 2 Timothy start in chapter 3, starting at the first verse. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. When we read that list of all that stuff, Paul's letter to Timothy, the scary thing is this list he gives is describing members of the church in the last days from lovers of self and money to lovers of pleasure rather than God, having a form of godliness and denying its power. This is what is on full display at many churches today. Paul says we're to avoid such people. What's the most popular photograph taken today? Selfies. 
because we're lovers of self. And you know why they're called selfies? Because narcissistes is too hard to pronounce or spell. Lovers of money. Here's a quick history lesson for you. During the Depression, President Franklin Roosevelt introduced the New Deal for Americans to try and help people get out of the Depression and and move the country forward. The government raised its charitable spending by 3%. The church's response? Charitable giving dropped by 30%. Whew! Don't have to take care of those needy people, those widows and orphans so much anymore. Now I can go build that mansion I've been wanting to build, and it's going to have more elevators than the average home has bathrooms. All to God's glory, of course. Look, I realize that's an exaggeration. Sort of. But what has happened is the church has withdrawn, and we have made the government God to millions of people. When tragedy strikes... We should be first responders. Whether it's a natural disaster, civil unrest, or a family devastated by some horrible event, the church should be there in the name of Jesus to God's glory. But now, mostly we sit back, make sure we're okay, and wait for FEMA to show up, or the National Guard. And then, if absolutely necessary, and we're really, really needed, we'll get to it eventually. Look, this shouldn't be. We deride and curse people who are on welfare or public assistance because because they're just lazy. We deride those people, but we do nothing to help them because it's just not in the budget. Putting a new coat of shellac on the pews is because, well, we can't have Aunt Zini getting a splinter in her backside because she's a pretty big giver. So, sorry, those orphans are just going to have to do without for a little while longer. Listen, tell Aunt Zini to bring a pillow and let's go get our hands dirty. The church is more focused on, on having a worship service be a concert and the sermon be some sort of motivational message than they are doing God's work. We are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we're more focused on the show that we put on on the weekends, primarily on Sunday mornings, than we are doing the work of the ministry. And the world, as far as our concerts go and our motivational speeches, the world could use those about as much as they could use another Christmas album from Amy Grant, okay? Which is to say, none. Don't need any more. Apologies to Amy Grant, but it's true. We are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Hebrews 11.24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And we are doing the exact opposite of what Moses did. He denied himself the riches and pleasures of this world, enduring ill treatment, considering the reproach of Messiah greater than the riches of Egypt. And we avoid the ill treatment and reproach, considering the riches of this world far greater. God have mercy. We're supposed to take up our cross and follow Messiah. 
leave everything to follow him, put our hands to the plow and not look back. And I'm not even 100% exactly how that's supposed to look, but what I do know is it doesn't look like what me and millions of others are doing claiming to be children of the Most High God. I have done more than my share of spending, acquiring, consuming, possessing, and wasting. I look at what I've done with the resources that have been at my disposal, and I'm disgusted. The squandering, seeking to please myself rather than please God or be pleased by God. I I am thankful, so thankful for God's mercy and that he allows second and third chances. And here's the beautiful reality in all of this. His word encapsulated in the Bible is a mirror for us. Many of us have done what James talked about, looking in a mirror and walking away, forgetting what kind of person he or she is. We have forgotten whose we are and who we are in him. That's the importance of us maintaining our relationship with him and realizing and recognizing our identity in him. So we don't forget whose we are and who we are in him. We are children of the living God, the creator and king of the universe. He's our father. He's our defender, protector, provider, and healer. And in him, we are forgiven. We are the righteousness of God in him, scripture says. We are blessed. We are more than conquerors. We are redeemed. And to put it quite simply, to steal a quote, we are simply beggars who have found bread and want to tell other people where we've found bread. That's what we should be doing. May we recognize whose we are and who we are in him and never forget. May we find our identity in Christ and live as he has called us, becoming his church no matter the cost. One of the amazing things about God is no matter how far we've crawled, walked, or run away from him, or our identity in him, no matter how far. It's only one step back. Return to him. Return to our first love. Thank you so much for giving me your time. I appreciate you listening to this jackass with a note in his mouth. And I refer to myself as that because the messenger here is not what's important. It's the message. It's that life-giving message. So thank you for giving me your time. Now go out and give them heaven.